It, it celebrates the fact that God is king, that he rules and reigns. Um, it also is one of those psalms that most likely on the return, when they read the book of the law and they realized that the, the word of God and the practices of the praise of God had fallen off, that this is one of the psalms that in that, that second city, that second temple, the resurrection of Jerusalem would have been read, sung, and celebrated. It's a celebration of God's presence, of the king's success. Um, yes, David, David's success, probably over um, king, several kings that are found in 2 Samuel chapters 8 and 9, and, and, and possibly that's where that comes from. But the focus isn't on David. The focus is on what God does and the goodness of God. So even as it, it comes from David's life, this psalm anticipates Messiah, the king. It, it anticipates Jesus, the savior and conqueror. We see it clearly referenced in 2 Corinthians 2.14, this new Israel saved by Jesus. That's us. There's a link here in this psalm, clearly in the New Testament, and we'll see to God's conquering rule and reign. We see all through this psalm, joyful praise, all through this psalm, that God's people, when they understand the hope that we have, even in times of discouragement, even in times where we deal with demise, when we understand the hope that we have, note in this psalm that those who have hope are made to sing. They are made to rejoice. When we understand that all wickedness, all powers that oppose God are crushed by him, and we are his and his people, we sing. You can see that in verse 4 and 26 and 32 and 21 and verses 19 through 20 where we're delivered from death and verses 5 and 6 and 10 where God daily provides for us. This is not about a God and a victory that is far off. This is about a God and a victory and a provider that is present right here today, right here in your life, accessible to you in this moment, right here, right now. It is a hope filled prayer. It begins with God scattering his foes, destroying his enemies, and it ends with every nation bowing to serve him. Listen, there is great pressure that you and I experience to apologize in the present day for our faith. Certain critiques that label Christianity as colonialism or racism, bigotry. It, it's in vogue to apologize, to somehow downplay. But here the psalmist makes no apology. What the psalmist sees is worldwide 
cosmic domination by the goodness of God. That ought to strike fear in the, into the hearts of the enemies of God. And it ought to rouse joy in those that are his. So in the conclusion of this message, you are not going to hear too many commands, too many prescriptors. For this psalm is simply a psalm of praise and a thing of beauty for us today to behold. So I pray that if you're here today and you have Christ as your Savior, that you will be encouraged by the guaranteed victory of your King. And if not, that you will see the goodness of Jesus and his great love and his guarantee that he will overcome all evil through his work on the cross, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his eternal reign. Let me read Psalm 68 for you, and then we will, again, like skim along the top of this glorious passage of Scripture. To the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. God shall arise, his enemies shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad, they shall exalt before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the desert. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out prisoners to prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a parched land. O oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked, the heavens poured down rain. Before God, the one of Sinai, before God, the God of Israel, rain in abundance, O oh God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found dwelling in it. In your goodness, O oh God, you provided for the needy. The Lord gives the word. The women who announce the news are a great host. The kings of armies, they flee. They flee. The women at home divide the spoils. Though you men lie among the sheepfolds, the wings of a dove covered with silver, its pinions with shimmering gold. When the Almighty scatters kings there, let snow fall on Zalman. O mountain of God, mountain of Basham, O many-peaked mountain, mountains of Basham, why do you look with hatred, O many-peaked mountain, at the mountain of God, desired for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever, the chariots of God are twice ten thousand, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. You ascended on high. 
You led a host of captives in your chain and received gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Blessed be the Lord, who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Our God is a God of salvation. And to God, the Lord, belongs deliverance from death. But God will strike the heads of his enemies, the hairy crown of him who walks in his guilty ways. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea, that you may strike your feet in their blood, that the tongues of your dogs may have their portion from their foe. Your procession is seen, O God. The procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers in front, the musicians last, between the virgins playing tambourines. Blessed, bless God in the great congregation. The Lord, O you who are Israel's foundation. There is Benjamin, the least of them in the lead, the princess of Judah, in their throng, the princes of Zebulun, the princes of Naphtali, summon your power, O God, the power, O God, by which you have worked for us. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings shall bear gifts to you. Rebuke the beasts that dwell among the reeds, the herd of bulls with calves of people. Trample underfoot those who lust after tribute. Scatter the people who delight in war. Nobles shall come from Egypt. Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God. Sing the praises of the Lord. To him who rides in the heavens, the ancient heavens, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the sky. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to see several things, and I've, I've just placed an outline. We'll, we'll leave that outline behind me so that you can, you can see that as we move through today, um, what this psalm describes so beautifully, and again, we're going to just skip across the surface, is simply the movement of God from present to eternity so that we might praise him. This is meant to strengthen our faith and extol the goodness and power of Almighty God. So first, um, in the outline, we'll look at verses 1 through 10 that simply describe the life of God's people. The life of God's people. God's people, as we look at verses 1 through 10, describing um, the life of God's people, God's people will face enemies and oppression. It's clear. It says, God arise. His enemies will be scattered. Those who hate him will flee before him. 
that there is opposition to God. There's opposition to God's people. Um, here, here we see in this, in this passage that, that God's people are moving. It's descriptive of the exodus. And, and what do we know about the exodus? In fact, um, the allusion here in, in verses 1 and 2 is um, to Numbers chapter 10 and Israel moving through the, the desert land. And we see that in this desert land, in this place of no rain, where, where is God? God is providing, but he's providing in the midst of great opposition. Um, we, we see in, in this passage that there are the wicked, and the wicked are opposed to God. They are depraved in character. They are hostile um, to the Most High. And so we see that here, this walk, this way, this march through the wilderness is described by opposition, and it's described by trials. Look at verse 4. It says, Sing to God, praise His name, lift up a song to Him who rides through the desert. It's describing this pathway of life for God's people. It is a pathway through the desert. It is a wilderness. Look at verse 7. Oh God, when you went out before your people... When you marched through the wilderness, the earth quaked. It is marked by trials. Notice how those that are followers of Jesus are described. Um, there's, a, there's a contrast, and it's a beautiful contrast in this passage between who God is and who we are. Because it strips away the illusion of any control, and that's what we want in our lives. You and I want control and how we are reminded if we really put on the lenses of Scripture every day, how we are reminded we are not in control. Now, that's not an excuse for irresponsibility. God's given us a task to do in life, but we have to acknowledge that He is in control. Notice how we are described. We are described as helpless and sorrow-filled. Look at verse 5. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Where does God dwell? Where, where do we see him dwell? We see him dwell in the weakness of his people. Father of the fatherless. Care. Caring deeply for those that are sorrow-filled, the widows. God's people are described in verse 6 as forsaken and lonely. God settles in the solitary, God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. And so God, God settles the solitary. Speaking of the orphan and the slave, the forsaken and the lonely. Those that are destitute of human friendship and connection find connection in God himself. The enslaved, in verse 6, it speaks of physical enslavement. But when we look at this in the context of Israel through the wilderness, we understand that it is sin. For those who cannot rise to joy, God is the one who frees them from sin so that they might rise to joy. So there is opposition in the life of God's people. There, there are trials, but there is also victory. 
There's victory. Notice verse 1. God shall arise. His enemies shall be scattered. This is a psalm of praise. It's a psalm of reality. God's enemies scatter. God, as God rides through the desert, as he takes his people from Egypt to the place of promise, God's enemies are pictured here as smoke, mist that simply vanishes. There is this irresistible, inescapable fear that his enemies feel. It is absolutely what we see in these verses in verse 2, smoke that is driven away, so you shall drive them away as wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. Yes, the life of God's people is marked by opposition and trials and difficulty, but there's the guarantee of complete victory. Um, it is victory over these kinds of trials, and it is ultimate Victory. It, it is that God will refresh us even in the midst of, of great difficulty. Look at how, that's, how it's described. God, in verse 6, God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. And then verse 7, oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness, right? our march... If you are God's people, our march is God's march, God's going before us. And when God goes before us, when you're behind the God of the universe, here's what happens. When you march through the wilderness, what happens? The earthquake, the heavens poured rain in the desert. Rain in abundance, verse 9. O God, you shed abroad. You restored your inheritance as it languished. Your flock found dwelling in it. In your goodness, O God, you provide for the needy. Listen, my friend, you can trust that whatever's on your heart today If you're trusting in the goodness of the God of Scripture, that there is salvation in Jesus, and we tend to categorize that salvation as being something that's simply spiritual. The psalmist knows nothing of that. The psalmist says, no, God's victory breaks out in every area of life because it is spiritual. Yes, you will go through trials. Yes, you will face opposition. But there is a spirit within those that are following after God where even though they may be in the desert, they can praise God. They can lift their hearts to God because they find what they need in him. He is pouring down rain even in the midst of great trials. So if all you see is desert around you this morning, know that God is there. Praise him. Trust him. Follow him. Get behind him and walk in his way. And he will provide all that you need.
The Bible says that we have everything we need in Christ Jesus. Friend, is your trust there in Jesus today? That's what the psalmist in, these, in this beautiful poetry is, is speaking of the great God who loves his people, whose goodness, in his goodness, he provides for all your needs. You see, this walk through the desert is also, yes, it's marked by trials. It's marked by encounters with the enemy. Yes, it's marked by opposition. But one of the things that it is marked by, it is, it is marked by home. It's marked by home. Why, where is God taking his people? He's taking them to their homeland. He's taking them to the place of promise. That's not guaranteed by your strength by my strength, by our strength. It's guaranteed by the strength of the Almighty. It's marked by home. That's the destination. That's the arrival place. We see this contrast. There's this interlude, this contrast in verse 6. Now, in fact, we see two interludes. One, I wasn't really sure. I put it in the outline in two places. You'll notice that, that verse 18 appears in point three and point four. There's this interlude of the wicked. We see one of those in verse six, that the, the walk of the wicked is what? It's absolute disaster. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoner to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Those that rebel and sin against God, there is nothing there is nothing for them. They dwell. The way that the psalmist pictures this is they are in the desert. But God's people, while they're in the desert, have everything they need when God goes before them. Second, we see the victory of God's people. This is a psalm of victory. I love singing those songs. Thank you, Mitch and John, for singing the song, picking those songs. Because... As God's people, we have victory. Notice how we have victory. Where does victory come from? Verse 11, the Lord gives the, what is it? The word. That's all he needs to do. The Lord gives the word. The Lord gives the word. It's a command. The source is a command. It's, it's a promise. It's, a pow it's power. God is giving the word. He gives the word and his people rejoice. What, what happens, verse 12, when God gives the word? The kings of the armies, they flee, they flee. Right? Do you, do you hear that? They flee. They flee. They're gone. All the threats, all the struggles, all the enemies of God, he simply gives the, the word, and what happens? They vanish. They flee. That's the power of the God you serve, and in whose name you pray. He has ultimate power. The source is a command. It's a promise. It's power. It's absolutely complete. Notice verses 12 and 13 and verse 14. It says the, the enemies, the kings of armies, they flee, they flee. The women at their homes divide the spoil. Though you men lie among the sheepfolds, the wings 
of a dove covered with silver, its pinions with shimmering gold. When the Almighty scatters kings there, let snow fall on Zalman. And you say, what does that mean? And I will tell you, I have no idea. <laughs> but I can, I can summarize it, and I think I'm on target. When, when, you, when you read this, and I've, I've got this, I put a question mark, and I went to it towards the end and read a whole bunch of commentaries, and they, no one knows exactly what, this, what these, this passage is referring to. They believe it's referring to some contemporary poetry or something like that, but the meaning is clear, and that's the wonderful thing about God's Word. The meaning is very clear, is that God's people are receiving what from this? They are receiving honor and wealth, and it's the wealth of the world. Can we describe it? it? Perhaps it's good that we cannot, because what we are left with is this imagery. The wings of a dove covered with silver. When does a dove have pinions with shimmering gold? It's odd, it's, it's, but it's, it's speaking about the peace that God brings and the wealth of the world dwelling with God's people. Its exact reference is unknown, but its meaning is clear. God gives the word, and what happens? The enemies flee, and God's people, what? Inherit everything at the word of God. You realize that you have everything right here, because this is God's word. And when God speaks the word, he commands the universe to obey. This week, we studied with word partners um, the book of Jonah. And there's an irony in the book of Jonah. Um, one of the ironies is that you have a prophet who doesn't do what God commands, which is, by description, not what a prophet does. Um, but all through that book, what does obey the word of God is all creation. The wind, the waves, the fish, including the spewing up, <laughs> the gourd, the tree that's there, it's, it's life, it's withering. Everything obeys. Everything ultimately obeys. There's victory of God's people. And so what you see here very clearly in verse 11 is this celebration in victory. And that's where we're called to live, even though we walk through the, the desert. We know that God is providing. We know that the walk of the wicked is disaster. They dwell in, in the desert, but in contrast, God's people have victory. And so we meet here on Sunday to celebrate that victory, to rejoice in that victory, to know that that's guaranteed. It's the only thing guaranteed from generation to generation to generation. And that's the thing that we want to see spread worldwide. We want to disciple the nations in the victory of Jesus. And so what we see is God's people doing what God's people are called to do. And that is to glory in God's goodness. And that's what we see in, in 15 through 18 is the glory of God's people. The glory of God's people is God himself. Look at verse 15 and 16, that God dwells with us. Where is the glory of God? Doesn't this seem so kind of odd to you? I mean, look around. Do we see a whole lot of glory here? The Bible says, yes, it is here. 
O mountain of God, mountain of Basham, O, peep, o many peaked mountain, mountain of Basham, why do you look with hatred, O many peaked mountain, at the mount of, that God desired for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. There's this contrast. It's an amazing contrast because it's speaking twice this, this mount of Basham is mentioned. And, and so the mount of Basham is being contrasted to Mount Sinai. And if you were able to look at both of them, Mount the Basham is, this, um, is a, a place that was admired because it was verdant and waters flowed. And it was fruitful. It was that desired place, right? There was, there was this time where Lot and Abraham were together. And Abraham said to Lot in the scriptures, Hey, pick what direction you go in your flocks. And I'll pick the direction that I go in my flocks. Those of you who know this story that's in the Bible, you know, Lot stood there and he looked. And if you looked as well and you were a farmer, what would you choose? I'm choosing the green pastures. I'm choosing the place where I think in my eyes are, are going to flourish. That's exactly what Lot did, but who flourished? That's the contrast here. The world looks on the mountain of God and says, that's not a great place to live. I don't like the view. That's rather rocky. I'd rather choose over here. God says Mount Sinai is his glory. He says, why, why do you look at the mount of God in that way? This mount, Mount Sinai, this is where God will dwell forever. The secret to Sinai is found in verse 17. The chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. Another so the picture is the mountain of God inside the temple, inside the Holy of Holies. This mountain is a place where God dwells. It is the holy hill. It is most glorious. And it is with God's people that he dwells. God's presence here is beautiful. It is ultimately envied by the wicked. Why? When you look at this and you say, why is the mountain of God envied by the wicked? What is he trying to say? Mountains and chariots. The mount of God that is unseemingly, but yet it has chariots of thousands upon thousands. Right? So this is what I picture. I, I love the poetry here because... You know, if you were going to have an underground fortress, right? Where in this underground fortress, right, you were going to store like defensive weapons, offensive weapons. Right? Where do you choose? An obvious place? No. Like you want the, the least obvious place. Right? And, and that's, that's, what, that, that's what, you want the least obvious place and, and, and you, you want this to be, it, it all speaks to security, right? Secure, right? Because when the enemies oppose, like you can release, 
right? This forces of power. Like I, I see like this movie where the, you know, out the side of the mountain, almost like Batman in his lair, right? Right? The Batman has all his like things where underground stored, right? Because they're secured. But, you know, when the, when the light goes up, what happens? Right? He goes out and he's got that really cool car and he's got the bat, the flying. I mean, I think they do both. I don't know. I'm not big into the comp. But it's, it's what what's get, the poet is getting at is this unseeming place is a place of power and security. And when the world figures it out, they're envious because they're trusting in what they see. But there's a secret. And you have the secret. It's, it's the open secret, right? It's not the secret secret. It's the public secret. God's saying, trust in me. And what you see might be unseemingly, it might be unattractive. But the wicked will envy because in this mountain, in this place, is security beyond your wildest imagination. The world is filled with threats today. What, does the, what, what do people who live in the world who do not trust in God, what do they do? They worry and protect. And I'm, I'm not saying that you should live. The Bible says that we should live as wise people. We need to live as wise, but not wise and worrisome. We do not worry about our security in this life. Right? Can you protect yourself from death? Oh, no, you can't. And this world is trying to do whatever they can to protect themselves from death. Should we live as wise? Yes. Be wise. But do not fear death if you are in Jesus. Why? Because your security is in that unseemingly, unseeming mountain from which the power of the cosmos and beyond flows. That's your security. And you know, ultimately, the world looks at that and envies. You actually become a threat. Why? Because you cannot be shaken. Because the mountain of God cannot be shaken. You are a threat to the world. You are a threat to evil because you are in Christ, not because of you. So do not worry. Trust. Trust in God. For you never know when death may befall you. You can trust. Oh, let us not worry. Let us be strong. Let us trust in the mountain of God. There is glory of God's people. It is in the security that we have in the presence of God. Deep security. Verse 18 and 20, the glory of God is in Jesus. See, the, the glory of God is in his people because he dwells with us. The glory of God is in Jesus. And notice verse 18, you ascended on high. Ephesians Chapter 4, verse 8. I'll close, when we close with Ephesians 4, 8. You, it quotes this psalm. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train, receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious that the Lord God may dwell there. God 
is dwelling among people. Who? All people. But specifically among his people. He dwells with us. The glory of God is in Jesus. The psalm is pointing towards the victory in Jesus. Look at verse 19. Blessed be the Lord who does what? Daily bears us up. God is our salvation. And if that isn't enough, look at the next verse. It repeats it. Our God is a God of salvation. God is your salvation. Why? Because our God is a God of salvation. You can't separate that from who he is. He is a God of salvation. He saves you. And to God, the Lord, belong deliverance from death. And here we see the glory of God is in Jesus, in his ascension. The fact that Jesus was both God and man. and He ascended into heaven. And what is he doing? He's ascending into the throne of God. And actively, what is he doing? He's leading people in his train. He's leading his people. Jesus is the way to God And it is God who dwells with man through Jesus. It is Jesus that is the way that God gives good gifts to mankind. Salvation and victory over death. But notice there's another contrast. This is kind of the bridge of the song. Verses 21, 22, and 23. But God will strike the head of his enemy. The hairy crown of him who walks in the guilty way. The Lord said, I will bring them back from Bashan. I will bring them back from the depths of the sea that you may strike your feet in their blood and that the tongues of your dogs may have the portion from their foe. That seems to be rather odd language, but it has to do with a covenant. You see this in God making the covenant with Abraham. And there was a sacrifice and. In the agreement, in the agreement in a covenant is if I don't keep my end of the deal, then you may do this, which is walking through the two halves of that sacrifice, walking on the blood. You might kill me. God makes a covenant. And he keeps his covenant. And those that break the offer of salvation, those that reject. What is he going to do? He, he is going to, he's going to judge. He's coming to judge. He's the judge of the covenant. And those that are enemies, what they will receive is eternal punishment. That's the destiny of the wicked. But remember, friend, if you're in Christ, what your destiny is. You might be in the desert, but he's leading you home. That is how the rest of this chapter ends. It is the triumph of God and his people. Notice in verse 24, this is a world, it's a visible and worldwide witness. Your procession, O God. Your procession is seen, O God. How did Jesus come? He was born. For three years, what did he do? He witnessed to who he was and who his father was. How did he die? He died visibly on the cross. 
He rose again and was visible to many, many people. And he ascended, as the psalmist says, and he ascended visibly, visibly. There will be this worldwide witness to the procession of God. It's speaking of eternity when the whole world will witness this procession of God's people with God in front. And it says that God's people here are holy. Notice the procession of my God, my king, into the sanctuary. Who is going into the holy of holies? It is God and his people. God is perfecting his people. We ought to take holiness seriously because holiness is our destination. Holiness is determined by God. It's determined by him before the world was ever created. It's determined by his work in Jesus Christ. It is our ultimate destination. And so we are in procession and it is a visible procession of victory, the triumph of God and his people. It is a joyous celebration. We see this in verses 25 through 27. The singers in front, the musicians last. Between them, the virgins playing the tambourine. Blessed, bless God in the great congregation. The Lord, oh you who are Israel's fountain. So we see this joyous celebration. And here you have the order. This procession is ordered and you have people that are singing and playing instruments and giving praise to God himself. And what we see in verses 29 through 31, who worships? It is all the nations because of your temple at Jerusalem. Kings shall bear gifts to you. Right? This, is, this is not... This is not the bang or the whimper of the end that so many fear. It's not. The hope of the believer is all the nations of the world bowing to Jesus and worshiping him in joyous celebration. It is the vision that we see here of the soon and coming king is a worldwide chorus of praise. Notice verse 32 to the end. O kingdoms of the earth. O kingdoms of the earth. This is moving simply from God's people to now all God's people, what? From every tongue, tribe, and nation. Doing what? Worshiping the king, O kingdoms of the earth, sing to God, sing praises to the Lord, to him who rides on the heavens, the ancient heavens. Behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the sky. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed. Be God. Oh, blessed be God. The worldwide praise of our King. This is a psalm in which God's people in annual celebration would sing this psalm because God is our hope. If you are in Christ, this is your psalm, your walk, your destiny, your victory. 
It is the victory in Jesus. If you are in Jesus, this is your guarantee. Celebrate that. Live that out. Hold out that hope. And know that this is not something simply in the future, but it is God who will provide for you every single step of the way. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, this is an amazing psalm, and we have really yet to explore the depths of the strength of your majesty and power, your beauty, your wisdom. Oh, that we would run to you, that we would exalt you by obedience to your word. So I pray this morning, I pray for us, I pray that the exalted word of God, whom we see in Jesus Christ, might rule and reign in our hearts over all. Humble us, knowing that we are orphans and widows and needy and slaves, but in you, we are sons and a bride. We are exalted daughters who sing. We have a father. We have a future. Lord, in difficult times, strengthen our weak knees, pour courage into our hearts, and help us to put praise in the joy of God on our lips. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.